scripture reading for this morning is from Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 53. Please stand for the reading of God's word. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, blessing God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. You may be seated. Well, last week we, uh, we looked at Palm Sunday and we considered the fact that uh, Jesus was welcomed into Jerusalem as a hero. He was expected to bring deliverance to his people. And we saw last week that the people did not recognize the kind of deliverance he was actually coming to bring. They had one idea of what this man would do, that he would bring freedom from the Roman oppressors and restore the kingdom of God to Israel. However, Jesus came bearing a different message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the restoration not of the kingdom of Israel, but the kingdom of God, the the repentance that was offered to those who needed to be restored to God. It It was that kind of deliverance that Jesus came to bring. And we saw last week that no one got it. And it's important that we remember the disciples didn't get it either. Jesus' own followers did not fully understand what Jesus had come to do. They were no less caught up in the moment than the crowd on Palm Sunday. And as the week progressed and the long simmering opposition from the Jewish authorities intensified, things appeared to take a sudden turn. I say appeared because everything was, in fact, unfolding just as Jesus said it would. In Luke chapter 9, we read that Jesus told his disciples while they were still in Galilee that he would suffer and that he would be killed, but that after three days he would rise. Everything was going according to plan, but no one understood what was happening. I imagine those disciples then, the disciples that we read of in our passage this morning, the disciples on that first Easter Sunday, I imagine them on that first Holy Saturday in this room, filled with fear, 
worried that the same Jewish authorities that had had Jesus crucified would have the Roman soldiers find them and have them killed as well. Overwhelmed with grief because this Jesus who they had followed, whose message they believed, was now gone. What would happen? They had every reason to be filled with anticipation and joy, right? Jesus had said, I'm going to die. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. They, they could have been in that room going, what time is it? It's going to happen. Is it Sunday yet? Jesus will rise just like he said he would. But, but even when he appeared among them, as we just read, they were still filled with doubts in their hearts until Jesus showed them his wounds, the wounds of Jesus. The wounds of Jesus were so central to the plan of God, so significant that he bore them in his resurrection body. Those wounds served as confirmation to his disciples that he had indeed risen from the dead. They also served to clarify the message that he was calling them to proclaim throughout all the world, but his wounds did more for them. To these people who were so deeply distressed and troubled and filled with doubt, the wounds of Jesus were so great a consolation to them in their sorrow that their sorrow would ultimately be caught up and subsumed into joy. And his wounds carry the same message for us this morning. They confirm to us the reality of the resurrection. They clarify the gospel that we are called to proclaim. But they also bring so great a consolation to us in our sorrow that our sorrow will be subsumed into joy. So this morning, we'll consider how the wounds of Jesus confirm the reality of the resurrection, how the wounds of Jesus clarify the gospel that we're called to proclaim, and then third, how they bring great consolation to us in our sorrow. That's where we're headed, but first let's pray. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this morning. We are so thankful for your Son, Jesus, who is risen. Even now, as we saw at the end of this passage, ascended into heaven, and we know from your word, interceding for your people, even now, still bearing the wounds. Oh, Lord Jesus, would you help us by your Spirit given to us, through your word preserved for us, to understand the message of the wounds. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the wounds of Jesus serve to confirm the reality of the resurrection. So let's, let's think back through this passage and what's going on. Jesus appears to his disciples. They're gathered in this room. Their hearts are filled with doubt. And uh, verse 37 actually you know, told us that. They were startled and frightened when they thought they saw a spirit, when Jesus suddenly appeared to them and Jesus spoke to them. He, he said things to them. They understood that they weren't just hearing a voice from heaven. There is this person in the room who was speaking to them. He asked them in verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? They, they could see him. They could hear him. Verses 39 through 40, he invites them to touch him. Right? Touch me, see my hands and my feet, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. They could, they could see him, they could hear him, they could touch him. And then to make sure they understood, because he really wanted them to understand that he was risen, 
He asked them for a piece of fish. Now, now even the greatest skeptic among them in the room, who would have thought, you know what, I, I, I think I touched a living person, and I think I heard a living person speak, and I can see what appears to be not a mirage, but a living person right in front of me, even that person who was still maybe harboring a little bit of doubt would have seen a piece of fish get handed to that person, and then suddenly that piece of fish disappears because Jesus had eaten it. Jesus went to great lengths to make sure their doubts would be settled. And the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as preserved for us in the gospel accounts, are given to settle our doubts as well. Virtually no serious historian doubts that Jesus existed. Even Bart Ehrman, an agnostic New Testament scholar, said the view that Jesus existed is held by virtually every expert on the planet. Those who reject the resurrection of Jesus Christ say that Jesus never claimed to be God, that he died a martyr's death, that he inspired countless millions to model their lives after him, and that the idea that Jesus was God is just a legend that evolved over time. And so Gavin Ortland is a pastor and theologian and apologist that I have begun reading lately. He said, you know, I think we need to add a fourth L to C.S. Lewis's famous trilemma. All right, Lewis's trilemma, who is Jesus, liar, lunatic, or Lord? And Ortland says, we need to add a fourth L, liar, lunatic, legend, or Lord. Because that is the, the belief of many who reject the resurrection. This is just a legend that developed over time. Well, there's two things that need to be reckoned with if that is your view. And we are not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to recommend some resources that, uh, that you pick up and read. I'd love to meet with you and talk about these things more. But there are two things you've got to reckon with. The first is that the, the, the uh, New Testament documents, the Gospels in particular, have a very early date. They were written within the lifetimes of many of the eyewitnesses. Consequently, what the Gospel accounts attest to were easily verifiable. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, you know what, there are over 500 people who witnessed the risen Christ. You know, they're still alive, many of them. You can go talk to them. Now, just imagine for a second that there's no internet, there's no TV, there's no radio, and somebody writes a book that says that the Berlin Wall fell in 2009, not in 1989. Now, if you live in Berlin and you're over the age of 40, and somebody hands you that book and you read it, you're going to say, no, 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 no. <laughs> I was alive in 1989. I saw the wall come down. Get rid of that book. They didn't do their research. Right? Or imagine that someone says, you know, same scenario, no TV, no radio, no newspapers, no internet. Someone writes a book that says, you know what, the Twin Towers did not fall because of a terrorist attack. They fell because of an earthquake in New York City. And if you're living in New York City at the time and you're over the age of 30 and you read that book, you're going to say, you know, no, that's not what happened. I was here. I saw the smoke. I saw the fire. I, I know that that's not how that unfolded. And the same was true. I mean, you get the point. The same is true for the gospel accounts. They're written. There were people who were still alive. These things were 
easily verifiable. And that leads to the second thing that needs to be reckoned with, which is the fact that so many people began to believe this message among both the Jews and Romans, both of whom had their own reasons for rejecting the idea that anyone would be risen from the dead, resurrected into a body. And yet, the church of Jesus Christ grew almost immediately and exponentially and continues to grow and spread throughout the world. Any person who's willing to wrestle with this most important question, which is, did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead, has to reckon with those two facts. Now, again, I said I'd recommend some resources. I want to recommend a book by Gavin Ortland, who I just mentioned. The title of that book is Why God Makes Sense in a World That Doesn't. I encourage you to read it. Uh, another book I'd recommend, you know, go back to C.S. Lewis and Mere Christianity. Tried but True. Uh, Tim Keller's written a couple books that I want to recommend, the, the Reason for God and Making Sense of God. These are all books that kind of take, take a look at so many of these common objections to Christianity, so much of the very real questions that people have about so significant an issue, the thing that we're celebrating this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can it be true? And if it is true, that changes everything. And so I'd encourage you to, to explore these truths. Jesus rose from the dead. He confirmed it to his disciples by showing them his hands and his feet, which bore the wounds from his time on the cross. And he confirms it to us by preserving the testimony of his disciples. The wounds of Jesus confirm the reality of the resurrection, but, but second, the wounds of Jesus clarify the message that we proclaim. Look at verse 41 with me. Verse 41 says, and while they were, no, verse 39, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. Now in John chapter 20, John chapter 20, we're told there that in this same account, this same episode that's taking place, that's where Jesus invited Thomas to touch his side. He said, see my hands and my feet. Look at the wounds that I still bear. So we, we know that when Jesus appeared here in Luke chapter 24 and showed them his hands and his feet, he was showing them his wounds. John, who would have been present in this room, in 1 John chapter 1, the very first verse, said of Jesus, we saw him, we touched him. We saw the wounded Jesus. The wounds of Jesus don't merely confirm that this is Jesus who rose from the dead. It's not someone pretending to be him because the wounds are there, the hands, the feet, the side. They don't just confirm that he's risen, they also serve to clarify the message. Jesus reinforced that message all throughout his ministry. Again, Luke chapter 9, the Son of Man must suffer, he must die, he will be killed, and then he will rise on the third day. Three times in Luke chapter 24, the disciples are told the same thing, the Son of Man must suffer. He had 
to die. It had to be that way. Even in verse 46 in our text for this morning, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. The disciples needed to know that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was not a mistake. It wasn't God's plan failing. It was precisely what had to happen in order for the good news of the gospel that salvation is found through Jesus Christ to, in fact, be good news. Because Jesus Christ had paid the penalty for our sin. The message of Easter is not just Christ is risen. It's not just that. As amazing as that is. The message of Jesus this Sunday has to be the same as the message of Jesus on that first Sunday, which is that the Son had to suffer. That's the gospel that the Apostle Paul preached in 1 Corinthians 1. We preach Christ crucified, Paul said, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called the power and the wisdom of God. This is the gospel message that must be clear. Jesus had to die in order for people to be saved. So if you are here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that is the reason why it's so important that you consider the claims. That's why it's so important that you consider whether or not Jesus Christ was in fact raised from the dead. Because if Christ is risen then everything that he taught is true, including that concerning what he came to do, which is to bear your sin in your place that you might have forgiveness and eternal life. If you are a Christian, I want to encourage you to read all those apologetics books that I reference. I love reading apologetics. I hope you do too. Apologetics meaning, you know, ways in which we can make a defense of the Christian faith, to answer objections and to really address the very real concerns that people have about the truth of Christianity. That's wonderful. Read all those books I reference. If you want more, I'll recommend them to you. But please don't miss this point. The one thing that we have to make sure that is absolutely clear is that Jesus Christ had to die. The gospel message is not, have a happier life now. Trust in Jesus and your marriage will go better for you or your job will go better for you. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died. He took in the place of sinners the wrath of God that they deserve. He took in himself what only we deserve so that we might have what only he deserves, which is love of God and forgiveness for our sins. That is the message that must be clear at the end of the day. The wounds of Jesus confirm the reality of the resurrection. They clarify the gospel we proclaim. But third, the wounds of Jesus also bring consolation to us in our sorrow. What do the wounds of Jesus reveal about his heart? His wounds tell us how much he understands what it is to suffer. Hebrews 2 says he was made like us in every way. He suffered with us. He suffered as one of us. He suffered for us. 
The wounds of Jesus also remind us how much he loves us. Jesus still bears these wounds now. The wounds of Jesus remind us that when he said in John chapter 15, greater love has no one than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. His wounds remind us that he did, in fact, lay down his life for his friends. The wounds of the risen Jesus that he still bears, they help us remember that he understands what it is to suffer. They help us remember how much it is that he loves us. Those wounds actually serve to welcome you to his side for mercy. If you are here right now and you're thinking, I am such a great sinner, it's because of my sin that he bears those wounds now. Please recognize that Jesus went to the cross to bear those wounds that people might be forgiven. The wounds that he bears are not wounds that ought to lead you to turn away, but to move toward him. You may feel that your sins are so great you could never be forgiven. Jesus would hold out his hands to you and show you his feet and say, price paid. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. I love this quote. You, you say, I cannot think that Christ can have it in his heart to remember such a worm as I. But look at his side. There is easy access to his heart. His side is open and even your poor prayers may be thrust into that side, and they shall reach his heart. The wounds of Jesus open up a way of mercy. They actually serve to welcome us and not reject us. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. His wounds say the same. But what do the wounds of Jesus tell us about our own wounds? the wounds that we bear even now. The Bible is clear that we too will be raised from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers. In, in some way, Christians will resemble Jesus. His resurrection body is in some way a prototype for ours. Jesus ate food. He could be touched and, and heard. And, and the promise of Scripture is that all who have put their trust in him when Jesus returns will also be raised with resurrected bodies. The one true story will reach its glorious end. God's rescue mission, the mission that Jesus entered Jerusalem to actually accomplish, will be complete. All will be made new. As C.S. Lewis wrote in The Last Battle, all the adventures ever had will end up being the cover and the title page of what is to come. And the Bible has things to say about what our resurrection body will be like. It says it'll be raised incorruptible. It'll be fit for the life of heaven. But what do you picture? Let me ask you, do you picture a Peloton ad when you think about your resurrection body? Right? Do you picture yourself the way you wish you looked in the mirror? Honestly, I mean, it's, it's really worth considering how much our culture conditions the way we think about how our resurrection body will appear. You do realize that in the ancient world, in a culture marked by famine, their picture of a resurrected body would have been someone who would be considered today a bit portly. But that would be a sign that this person is well-fed, they're clearly successful, they're, they're doing well, they've got a little bit of, you know, a little bit of weight. 
Right? They're, so was that culture right? Is that what we're going to look like in heaven? Is our culture white? We're all going to look like Peloton dad and Peloton mom? I, I think that if we're thinking that way, we're missing the point. We'll be raised in some way fit for the life of this new world that we'll be inheriting. We'll be raised in some way fit to worship God and enjoy his presence forever. We'll be fit in some way to know and love and and. And, and work alongside others. Whatever that looks like, we don't know. But it will be awesome. But what about the wounds? Because we all bear wounds, physical wounds, emotional wounds. What happens to those? Will our wounds in some way be redeemed like the wounds of Jesus? The wounds that Jesus bore that testify even now to the grace and the love of God? Will our wounds remain in some way redeemed, transformed, that God might be glorified and his love might be testified to among the inhabitants of heaven forever? I don't know. I don't know. It's fascinating to think about what it will be like for we who are broken and have been by the blood of Christ redeemed and are still being redeemed and and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, we who will one day bear his likeness forever, will we in any way bear wounds? Redeemed, made glorious, made beautiful, but wounds nonetheless. I think of the Japanese art of kintsugi. You've heard of it. It's repairing broken pottery with lacquer that's dusted with gold. The result is that that finished work of art is of greater worth, of greater value, of greater beauty than the original piece. Is that what it will be like? Will our wounds in some way be redeemed as we're made fit for the life of heaven? I don't know. What I do know is that even now, those wounds are being transformed. Even now, the testimony of your life, if your hope is in Jesus Christ, is that even your wounds bear witness to his glory, to his grace, and to his love. As God takes that which is broken, and not with gold dust, but with his own blood, makes us whole. That's part of the resurrection hope of Easter. We get a foretaste now of the life that is to come. Part of that foretaste, to be sure, is being able to stand not as perfect people, but as broken people being made whole and testify to not the perfect one who, you know, he is perfect, but but not the one who no longer bears wounds, but the one who made perfect yet bearing wounds still brings us life and hope and joy. Here we are in this room. Many of our hearts are filled with doubt, perhaps, and fear. But the risen Jesus, who by his word and through his spirit is with us even now, testifies to us, all will be made well. All will be made new. His wounds bear witness to that fact. The wounds of Jesus Christ confirm the reality of the resurrection. 
They clarify the gospel that we proclaim and bring consolation to us in our sorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that on the third day, the women and the other disciples found the stone rolled away. We thank you that on the third day, that first Easter Sunday, you, Lord Jesus, appeared. You spoke, you were heard, you were touched, your wounds were felt, and to your disciples it was confirmed that it was real. Father, thank you for preserving your word for us, their testimony down to this very day. Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. We don't see you like they saw you. We can't touch you yet. But by your spirit, would you confirm to our hearts the truth of the messages that we read in scripture, the truth of this one true story. And Lord, let it be that our woundedness is caught up in your healing that we might find joy now and forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.